Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest for you today. He has a master in multiple styles, including Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Taekwondo, Hapkido, Shotokan Karate. Welcome to the show, the amazing Egan Inoue. Hello, sir. How you doing? Thanks for having me. It's been a while since we talked. I believe last time we talked was during lockdown. Many people may not know your original athletic background and elite level of racquetball. I wanted to ask you, since we kind of like we last talked on this, it's very high intensity game. How do you even know like where to be when the ball hits? I mean, obviously there's training or whatnot, but it's coming at faster than a baseball pitch. So yeah. how are you dealing with that? So basically the, the balls are moving about 150 plus miles an hour. I was hitting about 191 miles an hour. And the only way to do it is anticipation, but there's a lot to be said about being able to watch where the racket hits the ball. And at the angle that it's already hitting, you got to start moving. So there's a high percentage that you run to the right place. All the pros are really good at that. You know, we do a lot of reaction drills. So, I, you know, the reaction time is, is key. So I've always training with, like, different types of reaction drills. So you pretty much had to predict where the ball's going to be and the angle of the racket. That's a lot of, like, on-the-spot thinking, man. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a reaction thing, you know, and there's a lot of things you can do to train reaction time. And I think it's always a good thing. I mean, no matter what sport you play, reaction time drills are always a good thing. And especially for martial arts, right? I mean, like, you have all these multiple styles that you've mastered. I mean, how much had that training for racquetball kind of translated to your martial arts? Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people go, oh, I'll just switch from racquetball to, to mixed martial arts or racquetball to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but... You know, the anticipation really helps, like, guess, especially, you say, for example, jiu-jitsu. I'm already setting up moves, you know, all the guys who do jiu-jitsu, you know how that plays, right? But yeah. that was extremely fun for me because of racquetball. And then MMA, just by the body, the stance, the way they put their feet, the way they turn their shoulders, their hands, all those little clues made it a lot easier for me to, you know, fight MMA because I can see the punch before, like, you know, my last fight against... Uh, I forgot what his name was. I was 45. It was my last fight. And, you know, he threw a jab cross and I just caught it with my hand just like that. And <laughs> then he tried to kick me in the head and I got under it. And it was like really not a problem. It wasn't even that scary because I saw everything coming ahead of time. As far as going into your Brazilian jiu-jitsu side of training here, you had an interesting thing where you had gone into being known for a certain technique and mm-hmm. getting good, like specializing. Can you kind of go into the importance of that? Because some people... In any phase of training, whatever martial arts style, they get like too much technique going. So what I do with all of my students, especially the ones that I, you know, that I that want to compete, I always tell them if you're just good at one thing, like super good at one thing, it's super hard to stop. And that's assuming that all of your basics are good. Once you get your basics down, then you work on one little thing and you just do it over and over. And if you can do it with all to all of your students in the class. You're going to be able to do it to someone on the outside because your partners or your training partners. And I say students because that's how I trained. It was always my students that I trained with. And I would do things over and I'd tell them how to stop it. And then I'd do it again. And of course, you know, you catch them. And then each time it's harder and harder. And then your setups have to become better. And you got to be smoother. And you got to learn to be patient. And, you know, all of those things happen. And it just owns you. And, you know, I always talk about Barrett because he came under that same philosophy. And, you know, as the years go on, you're not going to only stay with an arm lock. Now you're going to be super good at the next thing. And now those two things work hand in hand together. And like yeah. Barrett now, you know, he's way past the age to compete with these younger guys. But he's doing it because 
he's got five or six techniques that he's a master at. And also, you know, you as the first American to win like a, a world BJJ championship, like 1996 in blue belt, 1997 is purple, absolute. What kind of made you want to compete? Was it just a challenge of it, the testing of your skills, or that's just in you? No, you would think I'm a competitor. I love competitions, but I had to train myself to enjoy it. You know, I had like a lot of mindset stuff. And through racquetball, that's how I learned. I like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu a lot more because I can control the pace of the fight. I can control a lot more. Like racquetball, is because it's not, I can't touch my opponent. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be done a different way. So once I did Jiu-Jitsu, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much more fun. And of course, when people were telling me, oh, only Brazilians are world champions. I was like, oh, yeah, I got to try this. And it made it even more exciting. As far as MMA, that was an accident, but it, it kind of fell under the same guideline where I'm setting up positions and it becomes a game to me. Of course, every time I got hit, I'd be like, whoa, maybe it's not so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I want to bring that up too, because you had like a really hardcore MMA fight with Guy Mesger. You had five straight wins right after that. And I wanted to go over it because in jiu-jitsu, you always hear there's no winning and losing. There's winning and learning. So you coming out of that Guy Mesger fight, what did you learn? And again, it was successful because you had five straight wins. So that's very mm -hmm. impressive. So the Guy Metzger fight, he was coming at, I think, 220, 225. Because he's a lot bigger guy than I am. And I always fight at 180. So the mistake I made was I started trying to bulk up, like this bulking phase where I was lifting more weight and I was getting more bulky, thinking that more weight for me is going to be better off, which was actually the worst thing I could have done. Ability got worse. My cardio couldn't keep up with the muscle and the extra weight size. I mean, I already knew all of that kind of stuff, and a lot of us do. A lot of us know what we're supposed to be doing, but we don't do it. And then after we do it wrong, we're like, oh, my gosh, how dumb are we, right? And that's kind of where I felt. But I think because of that gaining weight and working that cardio, after that fight, I had made all these cardio gains. It's almost like walking around for six months with a 25-pound weight vest on. Yeah. And then you take it off, and now all of a sudden, you're not getting tired. You're moving way quicker, you know, everything's way better. And kind of that's really why I went to the five winning streak because of that. Wow, so interesting. Yeah, I noticed that more and more athletes of any style, more compact or uh, the strength, the weight ratio, that's better mm -hmm. than trying to overdo it. Yeah, because man, you got pretty big for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, look at yeah, this. You know what? That's that's uh, 200 pounds only. And I normally fight at 181, so that's almost a 20 pound weight difference fighting. That's a lot of weight to try to pack on in three months. That is a lot. It tells you you came out of retirement. What made you want to come out of retirement? The reason I came out was when I originally retired, I had like a bad divorce. It was just a horrible divorce. The ending part of my career was just not good because I went through a five year. It took five years to get actually get this divorce. It was like I started off with like abuse allegations, which I won in the criminal court. Then I was fighting for my kids. So I oh, was gosh. trying to get custody of my kids, which... I ended up getting two, but I mean, just that for all those years was just too much. I just couldn't do it all, you know, and, and it showed in my fights. I mean, it was a freak accident when I fought Suda and he broke my eardrum. Yeah. That's like, that's a freak, but that was, that was right in the midst of all and my attorneys telling me I shouldn't be fighting because it's going to give you a bad name and you're going to lose in court for sure. And I was like, okay, this is the last fight. Wow, I was trained crazy. well, everything was good, but it just shows sometimes you know, little things that's bothering you behind. And I, I didn't let anyone know because that was no excuse for losing. But, right. But you know, yeah, I mean, thinking back play. about it later. I mean, I think a lot of people don't see that. They see the Olympian on the podium or the fighter <laughs> yeah, getting yeah, his yeah, hand yeah. raised, but there's all this yeah. crazy stuff. And not everybody necessarily goes in there 
physically 100% sound body yeah. and mind either. You got some tips that you've applied and or to your students as far as helping mindset with training and staying focused yeah. and things like that. Yeah, so I have a lot of different tools that I have, you know, because being out in Hawaii, I didn't want to have to live in Brazil to get better or, or, you know, move to San Diego and, you know, be with Barrett or anyone else or some of my good students. I decided to, you know, work out at home. So a lot of it was a mindset and, you know, the mindset from racquetball to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to MMA, it's all the same thing. It's preparing and preparation. And like my number one golden rule is you do not run out of gas. That's not an excuse for losing which I did in Metzger's fight, right? Yeah. And that's my point to everyone that, look what happens. I mean, if you watch that fight, I barely get hit, but because I was so fatigued from trying to take him down, I could barely walk. So a grandma could have slapped me and I would have fell. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was that bad. I was like, my legs, I couldn't even feel my legs. You know, that's another talk for me that I talk to high school athletes a lot because everyone wants it. They're trying to look good. And then all of a sudden, by their senior year, they're not playing ball as good as they did because... They bulked up too much and exactly oh, okay. what happened to me in the fight happens to all of these guys in high school or a lot of them that's not disciplined and you know they, they're looking for aesthetics rather than performance or athletic ability so that's you know one of the things some of the other things i work out with my students is training under deficit so starting in the bad positions right but not only practicing that because you need to be able to escape out of bad positions and have that right mindset right that i can't escape but you also don't want to be so confident at it that you let people get there and then, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm not getting out, right? So there's that mental balance where I feel like the mindset, especially for jiu-jitsu and MMA, is like you got to be confident, but not that confident. You still got to be a little bit worried about the freak thing that might happen. And the other thing with the training is there's some days that I'll try to do exercises, fatigue myself, and then go into training. But you can't do that all the time because you got to learn how to train or how to fight when you're fresh. So you got to mix those. Those are the two things that I, I really make the guys mix a lot. And, the, you know, of course, the numbers, reps. You guys right. high reps of whatever you do. That's yeah, the, the mat the time. And yep. That's a great way of wording it, training for performance. Because whether it's training jujitsu, weights, or both, or whatever, it seems like, especially the young pucks, of course, Man, you want to gut it out and go for it, but there's a lot of overtraining, unfortunately, mm -hmm. that happens. And I guess each person's different, not just goals, but body potential. What's good tips you have them on how to find their zone and where their healthiest point of fighting would be for them? So overtraining is super easy to do because there's so many different things that you need to improve on, right? But going into a fight, you're never going to feel prepared. I mean, I feel like, you know, in the interviews, you go, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Yeah, you're ready as can be. But if you really thought about it, there's a lot of other things that you would love to work on. And a lot of the fighters are that way, right? But what you need is all you need for that day. And that's what you're banking on. Now, as far as training-wise, weightlifting, all of those kind of things, I'm actually going to be doing some videos on that on my Instagram because I think that's a good subject just because it doesn't matter what sport. I've been starting to work with kids and running kids programs for all sports just so they work on mobility. and the one of the examples I always give is like, I don't know if you can see my arm, but if you're doing say curls, arm curls, right? Mm -hmm. And your arm is just coming down. A lot yeah, of people when they curl, their arm just gets to this point and they bring it back up and they bring it back. And they don't go, yeah. yeah, and they don't go full range, right? So what happens a lot of times with a lot of these athletes, and it, even in jujitsu, is when your arm gets stretched all the way, something pops and tears. 
Yeah. Because yeah. you're not weak. You're not as strong down there. So I always tell them, you got to think like if you're throwing a ball and you're releasing or you're swimming and you're full extension and you normally train with a partial extension, when you fully extend, that's when you get hurt. And it's the same with the legs. And, and that's the philosophy I work with weightlifting. Whenever you do any kind of weights or strength training, you got to get that full range. And you're always trying to get that range to be bigger and bigger. But you need to be strong as you get more range. So it's a big mobility yeah. thing. So there's a fine line between getting stronger but keeping mobility. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah, and you're right. People, when they curl, they only it's still flex. They're not straight mm-hmm. out and bicep mm-hmm. tears and all these yep. other things happen. Great point. And what is something you personally do for recovery, whether it's stretching, ice baths, saunas, massage, things like that? Yeah, so I'm big on ice baths. I've been in ice baths for over 10 years now. I think that's a big thing. I use lake pumps. And especially now, you know, I'm, I'm still training. I'm still, I'm not competing anymore, but I have all these little fitness goals that I'm trying to achieve, right? So I do the ice bath. Sauna's huge for me. Those lake pumps that all the different brands of lake pumps, whatever one you like. I don't have a particular one that I like best, but okay. I also do a lot of rolling, not only with a roller, but like with different size balls. So I do a lot of those things. I have a bunch of different things on my Instagram showing, you know, rolling and stuff like that. And, and I do it a little different than most of the classes because I use movement. So not just rolling on the muscle. Okay. I'll uh, hit an area where it's sore and then I'll make the movement and it actually gets even more sore. <laughs> but and some people say, oh, it's because you like pain. But it's not because after you move it, it's kind of like on the lines of ART. It's a massage style that's been becoming really popular where they trap the muscle in a certain position. And then by you moving the muscle in that full range, it massages it by itself. Oh, wow. So kind of yeah. that idea is what I do on the roller. Yeah, knocks it out. You really knock yeah, it out. Totally, totally. Yeah. It's so important because you, uh, you're right. You use your body every day. And that's the other thing too, man. It always seems like I'll go back in the day here, all the way to now. You just always ripped and in shape. And I'm sure, you know, there's genetics here and there, of course, but it seems like you always hear lifestyle. What is like an average week for you as far as that maintenance of lifestyle? My days are almost exactly the same. I wake up at four o'clock every morning. I'm in bed around 8.30. I rarely ever get to bed later than that. And if I do, I adjust my wake up time. I try to adjust my wake up time, but that's super hard. Like, even if I slept at 10, I'm still up at four. Just so wired. You know? <laughs> I'm really cautious about, yeah, it's just wired that way. And I've really been a big believer in that circadian rhythm. So when the sun comes down, that's when we should be going down. When the sun comes up, we should be waking up. Of course, I wake up before the sun gets up and then I go to bed a little bit after, but I'm really close to that rhythm, right? And so, you know, so I start from there. First thing I do in the morning is I'll do my breathing exercises. I've been a Wim Hof guy for over 10 years. From there, I'll get into my workouts. So I'll make a protein shake, whatever, do some supplements. Then I get a workout in. I always do a morning assault bike ride, 10 to 20 minutes, depending what my plan is for after that. So if I don't have much for that day, that's when kind of my relaxed day, I'll ride 20 minutes. If it's going to be a hard day, I go 10 minutes and then I go into the weights or whatever my weight routine is going to be for that day. If I'm not lifting weights, then I go 10 minutes. And then, of course, I go on the stair climber for about five to 10 minutes also. That's like my morning. So by the time six o'clock comes, I'm either teaching boot camp classes or I'm in the water surfing or foyerboarding. So I'll flip flop between surfing and foyerboarding. From then on, I, you know, I teach lessons. And of course, it's a, still a workout teaching lessons. 
whether it's you know boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu. Sometimes it's just a strength workout. I go through all of those, and then of course in the evenings I'm working with my son baseball, and not that I'm pushing him, he's the one pushing me, and I'm okay. tired by the evening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Even on the subject of nutrition, I mean, to eat clean, it's really not that complex of a thing. There's so many different diets and things like that out there. But you can kind of real briefly for someone that not only not know what to do, but like confused by all this cross information, just how mm-hmm. simple it can be. So the thing for me is like, I'm going to actually pull something. I got some pictures of the, my body for the last 39 years in all the different sports. And I look really similar. Like the body shape and the, the ripness is really close to being the same. And I always tell people, I'm not on a strict diet. It's not that strict, my diet. In fact, I was going to pull some stuff on my story. Like the other day, I ate a McGriddle from McDonald's. And yesterday, I had a hamburger. And, you know, it, that's how I try to coach my people how to eat. Like, you don't take away everything that you love to eat. Okay. My whole thing is you watch your calories, okay, because calories in, calories out. Watch those numbers. That's super important. Number two is your protein levels. You got to have your, like, if I want to be 181 pounds, I'm going to eat 181 grams of calorie every single day. And that's just how it is. I mean, it's hard. It's not easy to have 180 grams of protein a day. And there's no way I can eat it. I cannot, I don't eat that much. I can't eat that much. So I have to supplement with protein shakes. And that I think is key. As far as cutting out all your carbs and all of that kind of stuff, that's, I've done that kind of things for, for weight cuts and stuff. But as far as in a real life situation and being sustainable and, and having a good like longevity and a good ripped life, you know, where you can do things, you cannot, you cannot go too low on your calories. You cannot cut out all your carbs like a lot of people do. You cannot do these fad diets, but what you have to do is find what you like to eat. And now we're going to hone that into making sure that you get enough protein and then maybe not too much carbs. Sometimes some people eat way too much carbs and you might have to cut back on that, which might not make you happy, but I never have people cut back all the way. And yeah, once you extreme. find that, yeah, once you find that homeostasis or that, that middle point, you can, you can stay ripped pretty good. I mean, I'm like this pretty much all year long i mean are you rarely ever see me lose my six pack i mean i, I actually i don't even know if i ever do <laughs> <laughs> and you'll see me eating ice cream it's calories and yeah like you said as long as you get your protein in, obviously and being active too that's that's like the catalyst to yeah. everything so i you know i even have this 62 year client that i train and i had him cut out a scoop of rice and then at the end of the meal he can have a scoop of ice cream and it's worked perfect. It didn't change his physique. He didn't get any fatter. And, you know, if he wants to get a little more lean, then eat half a scoop of ice cream. And then maybe eat half a scoop of rice instead. You know, but don't take away everything because one day you're going to crave it and you're just going to overdo it. Right. Yeah, when people go like super sacrifice mode, I mean, unless you're getting ready for a mm-hmm. special event, I suppose, or you got to stay within weight. Yeah, like yep. you said, there's lifestyle and what can you maintain for a mm-hmm. lifestyle? Speaking of lifestyle being from Hawaii, growing up there, you and your brother Ensign grew up in an area that's like considered like the second most populated. Yeah, it's an Asian area that we grew up in and it's, it's considered like more of the ritzy part of town. Ensign, was he the first one that got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Because you were like obviously doing racquetball and things like that. Or He definitely did. And then after three months of it, he tuned me in our parents' parlor or our living room, cleared everything out. And when I had rug burned everywhere, I took a beating from my own brother. 
Never had that beating ever in my life until that day. <laughs> and then I witnessed him in a street fight in Seattle. And I was like, I signed me up. I'm, I, I got to learn this. This is amazing. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is amazing. It is. Yeah. And it's very therapeutic as well, that aspect. Especially not getting yeah, beat by totally. your young brother. That would <laughs> that <would> definitely inspire <laughs> you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like, this changes now. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yep. So you've done a lot of competition. And we talked a bit about mindset of that. Some people are interested in competition. What's a good way to get your own mindset for competition? Some people can get anxiety or freeze or whatnot. What's a good prep mm -hmm. way? So one of the things I always go over is like a lot of people get anxiety. A lot of people cannot sleep. And what I usually go over with those people in mindset is like, think of what's the worst thing that can happen. And then when you figure that out, say, oh, I get submitted. And I had to tap and I lost early. How bad is that? Are you going to go to the hospital? Are you going to be in the emergency room? Are you almost going to die? Yeah, not really. So compare it like relative. What is that? Not that bad. And then so now we get rid of that. And then the next thing you do is, okay, now start focusing on what you want to do, not what might happen to you. And then you start thinking of what you want to do. Now you start becoming excited to fight instead of having anxiety to fight, right? Because, they're, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And you know what? Let me tell you, and you guys probably know it. It's never going to happen the way you envisioned it yeah. and the way yeah. you visualize it. It never happens that way. It's always a big shift, right? But yeah, just that thought in your head will give you enough like calmness. And, you know, I don't think there's ever a fight that I thought, okay, I'm going to do this, do this. And it happens like it never does. Right. So yeah, just knowing that, that be good with that, be good with it. Because when you roll in class and practice, it doesn't always happen the way it does unless the guy's junker than you, right? So when you're working with your teammates and they're not as good as you, it's going to go exactly the way you planned it. But you go roll with your black belt or go roll with Cabrina or somebody like that. Or whatever you do turns into nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a humbling experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's always been a very interesting side of things because you see guys that are just monsters in the gym and then you go compete and it's like, whoa, wait, what's uh -huh. deflated? Or vice versa. I've seen guys, I call these guys serial killers because they seem like super harmless in the gym and meek. And then you go see them live and then it's like, whoa, where's this guy been? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You got the two different types, right? Competition time comes and some guys just rise. And then other guys, competition time comes and they're just gassed out just from the nerves, right? So, you know, there's two different types of people. The first martial art you started, was that Shotokan karate? Is that we started <laughs> yeah. with? Yeah, yeah, I did. What made you want to get into martial arts in general originally? Uh, the Shotokan karate, I didn't have a choice. My grandfather was a black belt, and he insisted oh. that I had to do it. So that's why I was in it. And even, like, competing in it, I didn't – I <laughs> I still remember, like, going, oh, my gosh. Like, ah, yeah, I got to go do this. And and I, they always entered me in that kumite event. So it was like – it's like sparring, and I hated it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but later on, that translates to like, what, Wing Chun Kung Fu? Yeah, uh, and then from there, yep, yep. Exactly, did Kendo. I did, you know, all the different different martial arts where I was trying to find the different ranges of fighting. Do you feel getting one down? It's kind of like learning an instrument. If I learn guitar, it's easier to learn the other instruments. Do you feel like that with martial arts in that respect? I don't think so. I think mm -hmm. actually... All of those other arts, and then you go to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. All it does is make it harder to learn Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's better off if you just did Jiu-Jitsu from the start. Like Ensign, he did only Jiu-Jitsu. That was his first martial arts. And he just like like that, like so good, so fast. 
Yeah, that sounds like a T-shirt. Just start with jujitsu. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And your jujitsu journey was very interesting. In like the late '80s, you start with Helson Gracie, mm-hmm. he's based out Hawaii, and down the road towards like Purple and Brown Belt, Machado Brothers. Later on, going towards Black Belt, John Lewis. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me is there's not just one pathway. I mean, you kind of do hear the it's very romanticized. Like I'm with this one guy, and I went to him till I die, and it's not necessarily yeah. the truth. And sometimes, if you could go into kind of your story briefly. Sometimes it's just like, hey, this doesn't fit me. This doesn't suit me. That pathway, you get your own jujitsu journey. Yeah. So I think, you know, coming from different sports, by the time I got to jujitsu, say like when I was a racquetball player, you, you cannot just train with one person. Like when I went to the Olympic training, I'm training with different trainers, like strength trainers, different speed, agility trainers. I was training with different, um, different styles of strength coaches and you know, it's nice to be loyal, and I understand martial arts. You pick one instructor, and you just stay with that guy all the way to the end. But where I was coming from, it was a little different. So, yeah, I started with Helson, but I didn't do much with Helson because I was playing racquetball at the time. But I was oh. spending probably more time with Hickson. I was on the mainland most of the year. So I would train with Hickson whenever I could, which was at least, you know, twice a month. What was that like training with Hickson back in the day? Oh, oh, that, that is, that, that was the craziest thing I've ever done. And, you know, it was before he had a big school and I was doing private lessons with him and he would let me put him in all kinds of positions and I couldn't do a thing. It was just, I don't know, it was just crazy. And he, you know, he's basically the one who gave me the idea of starting in deficit positions because that's all he did with me. He would teach me how to choke him and then he'd, okay, get it, you got it in? Yeah, okay, go. And then he'd escape. And he goes, wow, come on, let's do it again. You got to do it a little better. Try to do this now. And then he, I, that's all I did for an hour. But then when I get home, there's no one that could escape my choke. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it was amazing training with that guy. <laughs> so then after Hickson, then I wasn't traveling as much. I quit racquetball, basically. And then so what I did was I switched over to the Machado Brothers. And I stayed with them. I got my purple belt, my brown belt from them. And then we had this little issue in Hawaii where they had the, what was it, the Pan American Games in Hawaii, and they yes. put my, yeah, and then we got to this big argument, big fight, and well, and it wasn't just Machado. that. Egan, come on, it wasn't just that. I mean, you, were st- <laughs> you were there for hours. They made yeah, you wait yeah, yeah, for yeah, 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 hours. As, yeah, it was a big. Uh, and there was a little, little like something between. Uh, I mean, people can look up online, but we're talking to you now. Uh, there's a little like you you weren't with Helson and he's a little yeah, yeah. hurt by yeah, it was... and then made you wait made you wait made you wait I think you were even yep. thinking about like that even the guy got there your opponent finally got there he's like oh I need to eat you're like come on yeah yeah no yeah you're right I, it was the match was supposed to start at ten in the morning they made me warm up then they said oh it's postponed to one they made me warm up at one and then three and then by four o'clock the guy walks in and he knew he was fighting at four the whole time. Right, so that was the story behind that whole thing, and and they were just trying to jack me because they didn't want me to win, because they didn't like me winning all the world titles, right? And then that was a brown belt competition, and that's what was gonna take place for the Pan Americans, which would turn me black belt right then if I won the whole thing. So yeah, they were totally preventing me from doing that, and part of that whole thing was Helson was kind of had some had hands in it, and Helson had a restraining order against me for two years. So there was a lot of history behind that whole thing, and then finally. You know, I didn't get to fight, and the Machado brothers are like, you know, I'm in a bad spot. So I didn't want them to be in a bad spot. So I said, hey, you know what? I'll just walk away, and, and we're and we're still friends till today. And then John Lewis and was like, hey, we'll pick you up. 
And so they wow. picked me oh, up cool. and then, yeah. And then uh, I was in Florida for the next year's Pan American Games. And they said I had a one-year suspension because of what happened in Hawaii. So I flew all the way there. I paid my dues. I weighed in. And then the day of the competition, my name wasn't on the draw sheet. And they said, and that's when they told me. And that's when I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe it. And then I had no school affiliate. And that's where John Lewis was there. And Andre Pettinera said, hey, we'll pick you up any day. And they actually turned me black. Wow. I didn't know that part of the story. Now that's crazy. Ah, man, it's nice now. There's more academies everywhere. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to say is that pathway is different for everybody. It's interesting. I had my own. You have your own. It's all good. We just keep doing what you just baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. You know, I do want to go into this too. When your brother Ensign went against Antonio Rodrigo Noguera, and there's a very big brother moment you did. Like he basically got choked out in a triangle, but he was like out and the ref's not stopping. And yeah, you kind of go into that. You're feeling like, screw everybody else. I'm getting in there. I'm saying my brother, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I could see he was out cold and even, you know, Nagara knew that he was out cold and I get it. You can't let it go until the ref tells you to. And that ref just obviously didn't see it. So I had to freaking jump in there. My emotions got the better of me and, you know, learning lesson. Gotta control your know. emotions, but I do the same sometimes when it comes thing, down bro. to a family member, that's tough, man. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I do the same thing. I mean, you see some of these refs and people are out for solid 20 seconds. So it's like, yeah, how long are we going here? You know, it's crazy. <laughs> I know, right? yeah. That's why you got good people in your corner, you know, or your bro in this case. Yeah. <laughs> you totally. know, let's go into also your boot camp, Egan's boot camp. You and your wife Marcia running an amazing multiple programs there. And all sides of things, whether it's groupiness, nutrition, I mean, you name it. Mm -hmm. I think the last time we talked, you were just doing something new with it as well. And that's like three years ago. So what's been going on in three years with that? <laughs> so we, you know, we got an online program. So we're doing boot camps on online, which is working pretty good. Then I actually, July, next month, I'm actually going to start some teenage or kids training. So I'm going to be working more on athleticism. I really feel that working to become a better athlete. There's ways of improving it. Of course, you're given a certain amount of athletic ability, but whatever you're given, you can always become a lot better. So I'm going to start running those kind of programs. I just converted my boot camp facility where I put another 5,000 square feet. I had a 10,000 square foot area. So one was jujitsu at 5,000 square feet. So my jujitsu class actually took a beating for this because they went to a smaller room and I took their room moved it to boot camp and that upstairs where I had boot camp, I brought in all these machines and weight equipment. You know, my reason for that is as I'm aging, I'm noticing that only free weights isn't good enough for me. I mean, in the sense that it's too much for me. I need to use machines and isolate muscles without having to only focus on stabilizing muscles and balance and all of that. But I never plan to take away the other part because I don't believe that machines itself will do good enough for you as a mobility or performance, I feel like machines can be good for you if you want to be a bodybuilder or you want to do only hypertrophy workouts or that kind of stuff. I feel like machines is perfect for that. But machines are just a, in combination to everything else that you do. And so because I like to do a lot of different things and I want to stay athletic and mobile and I want, you know, I'm looking at longevity now. I think machines yeah. is fitting in. And, you know, the majority of the people I train are 40 and moving up. And that mobility, I think any age too, I wish I had that more knowledge, obviously being athletic younger, but focus on not just flexibility, but the mobility of things. Like you said, yeah. the four inch motion of things and many people, just your everyday life, 
sitting down in a car, sitting down in a chair for work. You, you don't really mm -hmm. get much mobility. And, you know, yeah. if you just go and do machines and you only lift, then you're going to lose mobility if you build bulk. So there's that fine line, you know, of, of building more muscle, but keeping the mobility. And that's kind of like where I'm at right now, where I'm fighting to not lose muscle, but then I don't want to become stiff and not mobile. But then I don't want to go do yoga and do only stretching because I don't want to lengthen out my muscles because I'm trying to keep my explosive muscle as much as possible because that's the first kind of muscle that you lose as you get older is that explosive muscle. Yes, that fast twitch. Yep, fast twitch, exactly. And also other things, I guess you would call active rest or whatnot. For you, it's more just your lifeblood. And that is not just surfing, but you got foil surfing, which I never even heard about until the <laughs> yeah. last time we talked about, which is amazing. I mean, it's got to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like three feet out of the water. You got to feel like you're like flying or whatever, right? Oh, yeah. No, you're flying and you're pumping. That's a workout. That's not like an active recovery. Surfing is <laughs> an active recovery for me. Foil boarding is, you know, it's one of those days where I do a 20-minute assault bike ride in the morning instead of a 10-minute and then lift because if I'm going to oh. do a 10-minute assault bike, Stairmaster and do my lifting and foil board, it's not going to work. Uh, my foil boarding is going to be junk and then I won't be so happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need to get it all in. And I think you yeah. posted recently, you brought both surfboard and foil board with you. You're like, ah, which one do I do? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Today I only brought the foil board. I had no decision to make. <laughs> and I think that's the other thing I to take out of your daily posts and things like that outside the nice little pieces of knowledge that people take out of it is you're doing something every day. Do something every day. And you're not yeah. like blowing things out and overdoing it. Or like you said earlier, for you, your frame and build 200 pounds, that's a lot. You know, you gas out. I think it's important for people to seek out what works for them. Now, as far as future plans with your gym, training and things like that, what are some future goals from now moving forward for you? My goal right now is to build my gym back up. I've been writing out workout programs. For my gym, I don't want it to be like a 24-hour UFC where you join the gym and you figure it out yourself, what you're going to do with the machines or how you're going to lift. I'm putting together programs for people who are not comfortable with it. And of course, I'm making my gym where, you know, there's not so much bodybuilder type guys or like two hardcore lifters. I want it more for the regular people that need it. And they're looking for, you know, good quality of life. And they're looking at longevity because that's kind of where I'm at. And I really like to surround myself with the same people that's looking at the same things and have the same goals of longevity, being athletic, being able to move, being able to travel and do everything that we want to do as long as we live. Yeah, exactly, man. I love that. Egan, it was so awesome to catch up with you, man. Thanks so much for taking time to be back on the show, man. It was great catching up with you. Oh, yeah, anytime. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.